Hello, everyone. This is Megan Morgan, and I am back with my podcast, Cocktails and Cookbooks, where I take a cookbook off my shelf and I talk about it at great length with significant tangents and just a lot of meandering. Uh, I am here tonight with a cookbook that has um, a very special place in my heart. It is called Sheet Pan Suppers, um, 120 Recipes for Simple, Surprising, Hands-Off Meals Straight from the Oven. Uh, and there's a little asterisk uh, over Sheet Pan Suppers that says, Plus Breakfasts, Desserts, and Snacks Too by Molly Gilbert. And uh, I'm going to talk about this cookbook tonight because after discussing uh, on the last episode the first cookbook I ever used, um, I have decided to talk about the cookbook on my shelf that I have probably used more than any other. So that's the brief little intro. Uh, and then after that, we're going to get into it. And uh, before we get really into it, I just want to say hi. Hello. How are you doing? Um, if you are listening to this around the time that it's released, then all I can say is I'm sending you enormous hugs right now. Um, all the love and good thoughts. Because uh, to say that we are living in interesting times would be an understatement. Um, it is the beginning of June 2020. Um, as far as my personal life goes, uh, I have been separated from my kids since March. Uh, COVID-19 um, is still very much present in our society. Um, and I am an essential worker, which means I go to work every day. My ex-husband is, is not. Uh, he's able to stay at home. And so my kids are with him just because, uh, for me anyway... Uh, reducing the possibility that my kids are exposed, uh, reducing the possibility that my ex, uh, his new wife, um, her two children are exposed uh, is just a really big deal for me. I'm going into an office environment every single day. And I basically at this point have no control over the exposure that I have. So that's sort of the main feature of my life right now is the fact that my kids aren't with me. I know that for a lot of people, you are experiencing similar circumstances. Our lives have completely and totally changed over the last few months. Um, I'm sure you didn't tune in to listen about uh, to listen to a podcast about COVID. So this is just going to be real quick. The overall point is that we've all experienced a lot of upheaval. Um, give yourself some kindness and some space and some grace to be upset, to be angry, to be having a difficult time. Because it would be, I think, kind of strange if your life had changed radically and you weren't having a difficult time. That's a pretty typical, you know, thing to happen. I've been through a lot of upheaval in my life. I was for almost a decade uh, a military wife. I, you know, moved constantly. It's a very stressful thing to have your life turned upside down. And, you know, a lot of people experience mental and emotional symptoms with something like that. So it is a-okay. On top of that, there are currently um, a lot of protests going on in cities around the United States of America uh, because, well, of racial injustices in this country. Um, you know, and I think that the African-American community, um, you know, is really outraged and rightfully so about terrible things that have been done to them. I'm not going to speak about it a whole lot. And the only reason I'm not going to is because I feel like there are other voices that are so much more knowledgeable than mine. But what I am going to say is that um, I think that we all really need to take a good hard look at ourselves and at our country and address our own racial uh, issues, our own ways that we feed into the inequality, and 
really like take responsibility and educate ourselves. I've spent a lot of my life working very hard at my own mental and emotional issues. Um, I have a lot of anxiety. I have, you know, experienced a lot of really difficult things. And it would be really easy for me to say, I have the X kind of reaction because I'm an anxious person. Um, and there have been times in the past when I've absolutely done that. But as of right now, I at least do my very best. If I feel that there's something that I'm not doing well, if there is a coping mechanism I have that is harming me or the people around me, I do my best to address that. I think that we all need to do that where it comes to issues of racial inequality. Um, and, and I think we need to ask ourselves, you know, some really hard questions. And I think that we need to listen. And I think we need to seek out the resources that we need to seek out in order to educate ourselves. Um, so basically, uh, <laughs> after that rather long intro, uh, the, the primary message that I want to get out there is that um, I am in favor of equality, and I believe in working towards that. And uh, if you are too, then cheers. Stay here. Hang out with me. Um, we're going to now, for the rest of the podcast, take a little break from all of that, not to forget about it. But just to have a kind of a moment that isn't about that so that we can kind of strengthen ourselves and then get back to the really difficult work that we all need to do in our lives as we move forward. Or at least I certainly hope that that's going to be the case. Um, if, you know, like this, like I'm, I'm just saying, this is not about burying our heads in the sand. This is about, you know, if you enjoy this podcast, taking a moment to enjoy something so that then you can mentally recharge and get back to the really difficult stuff. Um, so, as I was saying, my cookbook is Sheet Pan Suppers. The cocktail that I have this evening, seven and a half minutes into the podcast, I'm going to get around to the, the cocktail um, as well as the cookbook. The cocktail that I have this evening, I just took a sip of it. It is... It is a chai tea old-fashioned, a vanilla chai old-fashioned, and it is delicious. So the ingredients are a chai simple syrup with uh, some vanilla added, obviously. For the sweetener, rather than sugar, it is maple syrup. So it's a simple syrup, like I said, made with uh, some chai tea bags, some maple syrup, and some vanilla thrown in after it was taken off the heat. There is whiskey. In this particular case, Jack Daniels, because that is what I have. Uh, if you want to mix it up and do like bourbon or Irish whiskey, or even if you want to be really fancy, maybe some scotch. I don't know. That would be crazy. That's off the hook. Um, but you can do it. The first time that I made this cocktail, I used a lemon juice. This time I used uh, blood orange juice. And that is very good also. It just, this is a very, like this is a very aromatic, aromatic and complex cocktail. Oh, also there are bitters in it. The original recipe called for orange bitters. I don't have those specifically, and I also thought that the flavor profile would be just as good with some cherry bitters, so that's what I used. And then there is a little piece of star anise and a stick, a cinnamon stick in there. So basically, this cocktail is heaven. Uh, it is, it the smell is amazing. Just like this combination. It's very warm and it's a very spicy drink. It might not be what you want right now because it's a very autumnal sort of thing. I like autumn. It's my favorite season. So as we head here into the beginning of summer and as things are kind of crazy, I am totally an 
uh, completely 100% about sort of these comfort items. I'm wearing my robe. I am literally in a tent right now because I'm trying to make the sound for this podcast as good as, good as it can be. I'm, I'm in a little tent that I built on my couch with a chair and some pillows and stuff. It's a little blanket fort and it's adorable. So I have my comfort items and one of them is this very, very autumnal beverage. Um, if you like chai tea, then this would be your jammy jam because um, it's fabulous. It's not too sweet. It's just a little sour. It has that kick of whiskey. The maple syrup is, of course, delightful. I adore maple syrup as a sweetener. It has a very specific flavor, so it's not great in everything, but in this particular drink, it is fantastic. I have been having this conversation. I'm going to go on a tangent now. I have been having this conversation with Eric Christopher Myers who is a friend of mine. He's a filmmaker. He made the movie Butterfly Kisses. It's an indie, like, horror, psychological thriller uh, about a Maryland local legend called Blinkman. So it's brilliant. You really need to watch it. If you haven't watched Butterfly Kisses, it's on Amazon Prime. You need to. Uh, I talk about it all the time. So if you follow me on Facebook, you know about this. But the point is that I was talking to Eric um, a few days ago and uh, social distancing, proper talking, like on the phone. And he uh, sort of teases me occasionally about my pronunciation of words. He used to work in radio and I grew up in West Virginia. So... Um, I also learned how to talk out of books more than I learned how to talk from talking to people. So there are a lot of things that I say kind of funny. He and I were talking and I said particular and I, it turns out, do have not in the past and may not currently be saying particular correctly. I have a tendency to say it particular, like I just chop out the R after the A and turn it into pit instead of part. Um, and I, uh, I I discussed with him the fact that I used to be in speech therapy and that the AR sound is a little bit more difficult for me than some. I used to have, when I was a small child, I had a lisp and I also didn't quite say my R's correctly. I spent years in speech therapy trying to amend this for the most part, it's better. There are some things, however, that still give me trouble. And words that have an AR sound in them is one of them. I also have always found the word world, world is difficult to say. I also cannot, without a lot of thinking, say Marlboro, Mar oh shit, Mar Marlboro. You know, the cigarettes, um, which is fine because you shouldn't smoke, right? So I can't say Mar... I cannot fucking say Marlboro. Marlboro. It's got too many goddamn Rs in it. <laughs> and I can't say it. So long story short, um, I'm working on it. <laughs> um... But I also completely and totally forgive myself for not quite pronouncing things correctly. I have I have pointed out to Eric that there are some things, there are some moments when I say a word that has an S in it and I go, oh, that sounded a little bit lispy and I can hear it, but no one else can. So I think that means that my speech therapy worked pretty damn well. Uh, basically, if you've been in speech therapy or you have any kind of speech impediment, um, like you're good, you know, like be, be, be totally cool with yourself because, you know, this is part of life. Um, and I also am a hundred percent with you. Let's talk about a cookbook instead of my speech impediment and the people who I talk to, even though they're awesome. I have great friends. I'm very lucky. Um, 
especially right now. And I also have great children, and I miss them very much. And I would love to cook them stuff out of this cookbook. And I don't know. Maybe that's the reason why I picked it off my shelf. There are things that we absolutely 100% do um, without thinking about it. And I think that as a writer, I'm a writer, um, you sort of... You sort of figure that out, I think, and I think you see that in your life more than most people do, um, the sort of workings of your subconscious and the choices that you make and how they are reflecting, you know, the way you feel about things without you really knowing it. I can't tell you how many things I've written. Um, and I'm like, oh, geez, like, where did that come from? And then like five years later, and I'll reread it, and it will be so completely obvious to me what what I was writing about that was happening in my own life, even if I'm writing like something that's science fiction or fantasy, there's always, always like bits of my life bleeding through. And it's almost always very difficult to see at the time. And it's only later in looking back that you can see the little bits of your subconscious coming through. Um, so yeah, I, I really believe, I, I, I mean, I know I've, I've seen it that we make choices sometimes that sort of are very reflective of our subconscious without realizing it. So yes, maybe I picked up this book because this is a book that I've cooked a lot of things out of um, when my kids were around uh, because she pan suppers are fast and easy and also Molly Gilbert has taken sheet pan suppers to like a whole other level, which I'm going to discuss so yes maybe that's the reason why i picked this so here's the basic idea the reason why sheet pan suppers is one of the books that i have cooked out of more than almost any other is that the basic idea of this is that you take this very very basic kitchen tool um a sheet pan is i'm just going to read a little bit so, a sheet pan, also known as a rimmed baking sheet, is a flat rectangular metal pan with a one-inch lip around the sides. It is often used to bake things like cookies, sheet cakes, scones, or dinner rolls, to name just a few. So, a sheet pan is, a lot of people would just consider it your basic cookie tray. I have gone and I have invested in some pretty heavy-duty sheet pans you don't have to to use this book, but like a lot of your really basic cookie sheets that you can buy from like the grocery store or from Walmart, a lot of those less expensive ones, they're going to buckle with the heat when you put them in the oven. So I went, I invest, went to a cooking store. I bought some proper like chefy sheet pans. They were not terribly expensive. Like, if I remember correctly, they were under $25 a piece. And I have two of them because, but you don't need two of them. One will probably, one will probably do it. And, and a really good sturdy sheet pan will stay flat in the oven and it will give you lovely food. Also, so the idea of cooking on a sheet pan is basically you just chuck a whole bunch of stuff on there and then you throw it in the oven and you let it cook and then after a while dinner is done. So it is a lot like the theory of cooking food in a crock pot only the results are going to be significantly different. And after I have a drink of my delicious cocktail I'm going to tell you why. So, here is the thing that has always sort of bugged me about cooking in a crock pot. And I'm not going to, like, bash it because for a lot of things, a crock pot is incredible. But there are some things that a crock pot has been used for over the years that I don't think it does particu particularly well. So, crock pots have been used for a long time to make dinner happen really quickly. And if you are cooking like beans and sausage or something like that, that's more stew-like, then a crock pot is the way to go. Because a crock pot 
you put a lid on it, a lid on it, and you're trapping all the moisture inside. Uh, whatever it is that you're cooking, it's it's not going to dry out at all, which is fantastic for certain kinds of food. Also, there's the whole, you know, you turn it on and you can in the morning and then you can walk away from it for a long time. That is also beneficial. And then I can't tell you how many times, like, my father would chuck some, like, carrots and a couple bouillon cubes, uh, a bag of beans that he had soaked the night before, and some sausage into the crock pot. And he turned the timer on, and we all went off to school, and we came home in the evening, and we opened the pot up. We threw the cooked beans into bowls, and we ate dinner. Um... So a crock pot is great for that kind of thing. And then, but then as I got older and I started to cook myself, I found that there are definite limitations to it. I started experimenting with recipes like a whole chicken in a crock pot because I love to cook a whole chicken. The problem with a whole chicken in a crock pot is that number one, your skin is not going to get brown and crispy, which I feel is pretty critical for chicken. I really don't want, if I have skin on my chicken, I don't want it to be like mushy. That's a problem for me. Also, ugh, I'm not going to tell you exactly what happened to the chicken in the crock pot when I made it, except to say that Everything softens up a lot in a crock pot and things just kind of started to fall apart. It was not my favorite experience in the world, cooking a whole chicken in a crock pot. I've also cooked like oatmeal, overnight oats in a crock pot. Um, also not my favorite thing. Uh, it, the sides kind of like burned and then the top was chewy. It was just the texture wasn't great. So this is sort of my issue with the crock pot. It's great for stews, soups, anything where you want the moisture to be trapped and contained in your food. Anything where you want like some browning, some crispiness, you know, anything where you want to maintain sort of like the complexity of flavor in your food because the thing with the crock pot is that it all just kind of blends together and potentially becomes mush. Anything like that, the crock pot is not right for. But let's say that you want to have a meal and you still want it to be relatively quick uh, and you don't want to have to do too much work for it. That's where this book comes in. That's where any kind of sheet pan meal comes in. But I love this book in particular because I feel like it's inventive and also has very proper like cooking technique in it and amazing flavors. So a sheet pan with the ingredients thrown on it and chucked in the oven is very fast. The cleanup is easy, uh, especially if you put some like aluminum foil down on your pan uh, you will not have to do any cleanup after you're done. You just roll up whatever has the, you know, nastiness, stickiness on it and throw it away. And you are cooking with dry heat uh, in your oven instead of everything being like contained and trapped inside of a crock pot. So you can get some good, uh, you know, crisp and crunch on the outside of your meat. You can get some good caramelization. Uh, your flavors don't all just blend together. Things don't become mush. It is basically conceptually beautiful. I really, I, I cannot say enough good things about the concept and I cannot say enough good things about this book. Um, just because the flavor profiles are all amazing and it's, it really is, it's legitimately one of my favorite cookbooks that I've ever cooked with. Um, like I said, a lot of this is because like the flavors are treated properly. The textures are treated properly. It's inventive as far as like the things that can be done with this very simple cooking process. 
and it also has a lot of it has a great mix of meals that my kids love it has a lot of fancier foods that adults love too and and it has a great mix of healthy food and and comfort food um I feel like basically whatever you're in the mood for, there's a recipe for it in this book. Um, this this whole podcast right now is sounding like a review of this specific cookbook. I am about to get into my experiences with it. So let's see. The publication date on this book is 2014. I got this book, I think that I still lived in Washington State. Um, I can, uh, anyone who knows me knows that I spent three years uh, halfway between Olympia, uh, Washington, and Tacoma, Washington. And during that time, actually, no, not during that time, basically the moment I set foot in Washington State, I fell madly in love with it. If there is one place on the face of the planet that I would consider home, like independent of people, independent of where I grew up, just you go to a place and you're like, oh, this feels right. That is Washington. That is the Pacific Northwest. That is that place. Um, I adore Seattle. I love the Olympic Peninsula. I... um can't get enough of that coffee. So I I think that I either still lived in Washington when I got this cookbook or I had just left um, because I was there from like 2009. Sorry, I'm doing math in my head uh, to 2012. So no, this book probably came out when I lived in South Carolina. Um, not my favorite place to live so far. I have no problem with South Carolina, um, specifically, it is uh, more a question of I am not a person who uh, suffers heat well, and South Carolina is hot. South Carolina, Central South Carolina anyway, is incredibly humid. There are these things everywhere that everyone calls palmetto bugs. They're not palmetto bugs. Those are cockroaches, and I hate them. I hate them so much. I am a nature girl by heart. I will pick up a spider if I find one in my apartment and I will carry it outside and set it free. I uh, have been known to catch frogs out of the muck at the bottom of a pond without batting an eye. And I, you know, have picked up birds and rescued them in a variety of situations. I'm not generally speaking afraid of creepy crawlers, but if you put me near if you put me near a cockroach, I will lose my mind. I don't like them. So, South Carolina, it's an issue. This book on the other hand that I got while I was in South Carolina is amazing. And it came to me at a point in my life when I had had one child and either had had a second or was about to have a second. And I am, as I'm sure you would suspect, based off of the fact that I'm doing a podcast about food, I am a foodie. I love flavors. I love textures. I adore food. Um, I love to make it. I love to eat it. <laughs> I It is sort of a, a place of comfort for me. And at the same time, I you know i was i was a mom with two very small children and finding the time to cook the really complex meals that i would like i just simply was running out of it i didn't have it anymore i was also trying to finish writing a novel um and i was trying to balance all of these things also i was an army wife so yes my life was was busy and my energy levels were low, and I desperately needed, I needed something that was like a crockpot meal, where you could chuck all the ingredients in and walk away from it, but 
I didn't love crockpot meals. So I needed something else. Enter this concept of throwing things on a sheet pan and throwing that in the oven and then like going on with your life. And it was and is a revelation. And I am still cooking out of this book to this day. And I have made food for my children. Let's see. I'm going to flip through. I'm just going to like the... This book opens with a recipe for baked brie and strawberries. The idea being that you bake some brie and some strawberries and you get some crackers and you dig in. Um, can you get, can you get better than that? Um, yes, you can because there's more. I'm still, I'm still, I haven't cooked everything in this and I very much hope to because there's not a bad recipe here. There's some that where I go, oh, like that's interesting. That's different. I don't know that I would love that, but they're all good. Uh, fresh tomato bruschetta. I have made that before. It is delicious. The crispy mushroom and burrata crostini. I haven't made that yet, but I fully intend to. Uh, let's see. Where are some that I've actually made? Roasted radishes with chive butter. I have made that. Um, I'm just going to tell you right now that if you don't like radishes, I, I get it. They're quite spicy. They can be a little bit difficult, but if you roast them in the oven and then serve them with butter, they are just, oh, they become this magical thing. So according to Molly Gilbert, by the way, my sister's name is Molly, and so I am very fond of the name Molly. I, however, this is another one of those words that I uh, used to say incorrectly, and I attempt now to improve it and say Molly instead of Molly. So Molly says that roasting softens the raw bitterness of these little roots and brings out their depth and sweetness. And radishes with salty butter, a pair as famous as peanut butter and jelly, at least it is for dapper French children. So a lot of times, and vegetables are some of my favorite things to eat, and they're also something that can be rather difficult for some people. And the wonderful thing about roasting something, particularly vegetables, is that it will caramelize uh, any sugars in there. And it can also sort of like soften up the texture. So like carrots are crunchy until you roast them. And then they it really brings out like a sweetness that you might not notice otherwise in a vegetable that can be kind of bitter. And it just sort of softens and smooths out their flavor and yet also brings out like new layers of freshness. So if you hate a vegetable, I really highly recommend trying to roast it because a lot of times that's going to do some really, really magical things. Uh, crispy za'atar, za'atar? I don't know how to say that, but it's a, um, it's a Middle Eastern spice and it's wonderful. Crispy za'atar chickpeas. Um, roasting chickpeas is fantastic. Getting chickpeas nice and crunchy is just, um, it's the way to go if you want a really good healthy snack. Okay, so here is a recipe that it sounds super basic, but I promise you that um, I'm pretty sure most people have never had anything quite like this before. And it's one of my favorite comfy, comfy foods. Baked turkey meatballs and slow roasted tomatoes. So turkey meatballs, you might be thinking, ew, whatever, dry. No, not these. These are lovely. They're luscious. They're plump. They're juicy. Then you slow roast tomatoes. Do you know what happens when you slow roast tomatoes? I'm going to tell you what happens when you slow roast tomatoes. Magic happens. They get so sweet and so savory and yummy and soft. And if they blacken up a little bit on the outside, oh, oh, all the better. Uh, it brings out this like really incredible smokiness. So you get these yummy, juicy, roasty tomatoes and you get these uh, yummy, juicy, not at all dry, lusciously flavored meatballs. 
And then you put them on top of, my mother's probably going to cringe when I say this, you put them on top of a bowl of ricotta cheese. And it's this incredible and simple and yet like so insanely delicious Italian dish that is not pasta. Um, because when I do Italian, I'm always like, oh, pasta. No, these are meatballs and tomatoes on top of ricotta. And the there's like a sweetness happening here. There's a creaminess happening with the ricotta. There are these like incredibly spicy meatballs. It is one of those recipes that I almost flipped right by and didn't bother with. But then I made it one day and um, it blew my mind. It really did. It, it was delicious. Here is a couple of pages later. This is probably my favorite recipe. I have made this recipe for ex-in-laws. I have made this recipe for new friends. I have made this recipe for my children. And my children love this. And um, I've made this recipe for myself. And I, it is delicious. It is curried chicken with cauliflower, apricots, and olives. Uh, we are talking about chicken thighs. Uh, cauliflower, you don't even have to cut it. I just pull it apart with my hands. Seriously, if you are cutting apart cauliflower, stop now. You don't need to do it. Really seriously, put down the knife, pick up your cauliflower. Now, you might need to cut off the stalk, the stem part, because um, that is a little bit difficult to manage. But for the most part, you can rip into cauliflower and just tear it into like more manageable pieces with your bare hands than you're probably going to do with your knife. That's my personal opinion. I just think it's so easy. That's the way I do it. Um, and then the olives. So yeah, you're talking about olives. You're talking about apricots. This is uh, a twist on a, a chicken marbella, which has like prunes and olives in it. So I'm sure that a lot of you had some something like that growing up. This is like a total uh, uh, riff on that, and it's delicious. You get, when you roast olives, they get kind of like soft, but they can get spots in them that, you know, get kind of, I don't even want to say crispy, because an olive, you know, roasted, it, it gets like a sort of, it brings out a toothsomeness in the skin. Do you know what I mean? Where it has a little bit of resistance to your bite. Um, and then cauliflower, of course, parts of it can get crunchy and parts of it get so soft. And then the apricots add this like beautiful, sunny flavor. And then, of course, there's curry powder in there. So it has a little bit of spice. And depending on what curry powder you use, you know, it can be a little bit spicy or a lot spicy. My children devour this dish. My children believe that cauliflower is one of the most delicious vegetables that there is because of this partic particular dish. Um, side note, I used to have a garden. I wish I still did. Have you ever seen a cauliflower plant, like, growing? They're humongous. Um, broccoli is the same way. There's, you know, the head, and then there are all these gigantic leaves around it. And a a cauliflower plant is about four or five times larger than just your head of cauliflower. And a cauliflower head is like one of the largest vegetables in the grocery store in the first place. Also, as I'm sure you can imagine, cauliflower and broccoli are related. They're both members of the brassica family. And uh, they, I'm trying to remember which is which. So like one of them is like, they're both the flower part of the plant. And I, I can't remember exactly what the difference is between them. But basically, you know, all those little like, all those little like florette bits, all those little like balls that you see, you know, at the end of the stalks, those are like little flower buds. 
Isn't that sort of mind-blowing that the cauliflower and broccoli are flowers that we've sort of like bred uh, until they are the this 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 thing that we eat i mean it just kind of blows my mind um other members of the brassica family include uh, brussels sprouts which um i'm fairly certain that brussels sprout is sort of like the a flower bud but i don't know that for certain brussels sprouts are very strange when they're growing they're a they're like balls on like a stick. <laughs> um, but they are also wonderful if you cook them well. All right. Here is one of the best recipes in this cookbook. Um, and it is worth the price of admission. And it is the chicken parmesan. So you don't fry it, you bake it, which means it's pretty healthy. You get around the sort of like problem of not having crunchiness in a baked versus fried chicken parm by, you know what? I won't tell you the secret. You have to go get the book, but I am going to tell you this version is crunchy. Um, and so I, when I am eating this, really don't miss that element of frying the chicken parm. You serve this, it there's so much cheese, there's so much zippy flavor, um, this cookbook, uh, very fortunately slash unfortunately, uh, brought into my life, and this specific recipe is the first one that I used it in, a brand of marinara sauce called Rao's, R-A-O, apostrophe S. Um, it is like <laughs> $8 a jar. It is outrageously expensive. It is also by far in my opinion, the best marinara sauce that you can get at the grocery store. Um, I adore it. It is my favorite. And whenever I can spare the extra change for an outrageously expensive jar of marinara sauce, I go for it. Because um, just trust me, it will not it will not lead you astray. They are even kind enough to make uh, a version for people who have like sensitivities that does not have any onion or garlic in it. So if you find that a lot of, uh, you know, jarred marinara sauce causes you to break out or you have issues with garlic and onion, they have a version without those ingredients in it that is specifically geared towards people with sensitive uh, food sensitivities. which I think is very cool. So, like I said, this is a a recipe book that I came to very much appreciate during a time in my life when my cooking was really picking up steam and then I sort of found I had to scale back on the amount of time that I was spending on food because because of motherhood, because of children and and this book sort of filled that space for me of, of, of increasing the texture and the flavor and the good, goodness in my food without sacrificing, you know, my time. I don't have to stand in the kitchen all day to make something of this. Um, one of my another favorite recipe i'm telling you there's not a bad one in this book another one though that i really love is the warm tuna nicho ise salad so salad nicho ise and i'm probably butchering the pronunciation because i do not do french pronunciation whatsoever um not that i have a problem with french it is that um i'm just not very good at it i and a couple of my friends in high school took French and I took Spanish. And I find Spanish pronunciation much easier for me than French. I don't understand why sometimes the sound, the the, the letters at the ends of the words, um, you just don't say them. <laughs> and I can never figure out when or how or where to do that. So, yes, that is my problem 
with French. And it's not French's problem that I have a problem. It's my problem that I have a problem. So the tuna nishoise salad is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it includes roasted tomatoes, roasted potatoes, roasted green beans, of course, uh, boiled eggs, and tuna. And just, I, I don't know how to describe the loveliness of this recipe. You don't have to like tuna. You can leave the tuna off. My son usually does. Uh, it also includes Kalamata olives. It's just zippy. It's zingy. The textures are gorgeous. And you really cannot go wrong with this. And this is a recipe that I have always liked to cook for my kids because there are enough elements in it that they can kind of pick and choose which parts of it they want to eat and which parts of it they don't. And everyone is getting something here. So like my daughter loves roasted tomatoes. She loves tomatoes in all ways, shapes, and forms. Um, she is, of my two children, probably my easier eater. And so she can devour the tomatoes. Uh, she's pretty okay with potatoes. My son, he is 100% okay with the roasted green beans and the potatoes also. Um, they will both eat the olives. They will both eat the eggs. Uh, they might skip on the tuna, but then I get to have the tuna. So basically, this recipe makes everyone pretty happy. And I also get to sit down and share a meal with my kids. And that's something that's really important to me. I um, don't love the idea of cooking one meal for them and then a different meal for myself. There are moments maybe like on special occasions when I'm totally okay with doing that. But for the most part, I like to be able to sit down with my kids and we are eating the same food. And even if one of us has to take some of the elements out to be happy, then, you know, that would definitely be my preference. This does not always happen, but that's, that's what I like is for uh, us to be able to share something together. And my hope is that, you know, maybe someday we'll sit down and we'll have some tuna nishoise. And maybe my son on this particular day will be like, okay, all right, you know what? We've, I've eaten this a million times. I keep leaving out the tomatoes. What about this time? I just don't push all the tomatoes out, you know? Maybe I'll try one of the, one or two of them. And then the next thing you know, he's okay with roasted tomatoes. I think that, you know, having that as an option, even if he doesn't eat it now, means that he's still seeing it. He knows that I'm eating it. He knows that his sister is eating it. And, you know, maybe someday what is a food aversion now will become something that he's at least willing to try later. That's my hope. And my hope is also that, you know, yes, absolutely 100%. A lot of times I serve my kids what would be considered kid food. Um, but a lot of other times I'm doing my best to expose them to stuff that would be considered adult food. And I feel like, you know, these kinds of recipes help me do that. Um, another super duper winner in here is the soy mustard salmon and broccoli. This is another one of those recipes that it is fast. Like this is so easy. Um, you're talking about broccoli and you're talking about salmon and you chuck them on a sheet tray together with like a Dijon brown sugar mustard, like soy sauce combination. The, this flavor is absolutely gorgeous it's also so, 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 so easy. You cannot mess this recipe up unless you put the salmon under the broiler for too long and you burn the fuck out of it. By and large, though, you can't mess this up and it comes out delicious. My ex-in-laws were very picky eaters sometimes. They would come over. I would make this um, and they would request it like any other time that they came over. It is 
delicious. I could also serve this to my parents, who my mother is quite a picky eater. Sorry, Mom. It's true. She won't eat pizza. She will not eat. She will not eat a lot of things. Um, she'll eat hamburgers off the grill, but for the most part, if it's fatty or if it's a lot of meat, um, she wants her vegetables, you know, that kind of thing. This is a recipe that also satisfies them. My children will eat it. Um, it is it is a crowd pleaser and it is also easy. Uh, and I love those kinds of recipes that you can pull out for company. It seems impressive. It is delicious. And it is also unfuck-uppable because there is nothing worse than having people over who you care about or who you want to impress or who you want to at least appear to have your shit together in front of. There's nothing worse than having that situation where someone is over for dinner and you are trying to impress them and you are spending ungodly amounts of time doing it. It really truly... It is so stressful. You don't get to enjoy spending time with these people who presumably you want to spend time with because you're trying to do these finicky, complicated things in the kitchen. I'm not saying finicky, complicated things are bad. I think that they are fantastic when you are with someone who you are comfortable with and who, if it comes out messed up, or if you have to spend an extra hour past the usual dinner time fiddling with it, there's someone who already knows you and already loves you and is going to be like, I've had five million meals with you. And this one time it's not going super well. But by and large, I know that you're pretty good at this. So, you know, I'm not going to worry about it too much. When you are having over someone who you don't have that level of comfort with, the last thing that you want to do is pull out a recipe that is fiddly and complicated. Number one, takes away from the time you're spending with them because presumably you want to spend some time with them. I don't know. I don't know your situation. Maybe you don't. But if you do, you're going to be doing something that pulls you away from that. And then number two, you're increasing your odds of something going wrong. And then if something goes wrong in front of people who you're trying to impress, you're going to potentially lose your shit. And the last thing that you want to do is, on top of having dinner go wrong, also be losing your shit. Because now, you know, you're having a bad time. They're having a bad time, presumably, because if they're not sociopaths, now they're feeling uncomfortable. And then no one enjoys dinner. <laughs> So, uh, yes, for me, that specific recipe, the salmon uh, with the sauce and the broccoli, is unfuck-uppable. It's impressive. It tastes delicious every time. There are very few people who have a problem with it. I'm telling you, I've served it to lots and lots of people. And it is a great meal that lets me spend time with people when I make it. And it's also relaxing and impressive. It's something that almost everyone who I've served it to has sat down. No, really, everyone I've served it to, they sit down and they enjoy it and it's comfy. And I really think that that you can't go wrong with a recipe like that. It is also so simple that I can throw it together on a busy weeknight and have a really good good, satisfying meal after work. It is that kind of thing that you can both serve after work and accompany. And that, that, that kind of thing makes me very, very happy. So yes, this book, I, I'm, I, I can't enthuse enough about this concept of baking meals on a sheet pan. I'm a hundred percent down for like I, I will, I will make super complicated food and I enjoy doing that. I enjoy pushing myself outside of my comfort zone sometimes and of learning new techniques. That is fantastic. I like doing it. I, I love learning new things and that's part of why I loved learning how to cook 
is because it gave me an opportunity to, you know, explore all of these techniques and all of these different styles of food from different places around the world. But at the same time, there, you know, there are moments when, you know, making a beef wellington uh, is is not what you need in life. When being able to come home and and, you know, make something that is delicious and comforting after a long day at work means, you know, that 20 minutes after you get home, you're pulling something out of the oven and it's delicious. Uh, thick cut pork chops with warm apple cabbage slaw is another one of those. Um, I've made this one also for a lot of people. And the idea, you cook the pork chops over top of the apple cabbage, uh, thinly sliced apples and cabbages. And the flavor combination is just wonderful. This is a great autumnal recipe. Um, and I have written up here in the corner, a very good side is raisin rice, which includes two cups of broth, one and a half cups of rice, cinnamon, saffron, and raisins. And uh, really, that's a great side with this. Um, here's one that I haven't made yet. Hassle-backed lasagna, hassle-backed potatoes. Basically, you put lasagna ingredients on top of hassle-backed potatoes. I haven't done that yet. I want to. It looks amazing. There's a lot of cheese in this book, and um, I have absolutely zero problem with that. If you are lactose intolerant, then I think that using a cheese substitute or something like that would work just fine. Uh, here's another one. Okay, so my sister, Molly, used to love to eat that French bread pizza that you get, used to be able to get in the frozen aisle section of the grocery store. You, it is like, you know, French bread with pizza toppings on top. And my sister loved it. I never really ate it that much. Um, it just wasn't my jam. I would prefer to have like a bagel bite. Do you know what I mean? Like those little tiny mini bagels with pizza stuff on top. This, the pepperoni French bread pizza in this book is insanely good. This is another one that you could serve to a broad variety of people and they would probably be pretty happy. Not my mom. My mom wouldn't like this, but everybody else would be down. So you take a baguette and you make your own French bread pizza and you put it in the oven. This is like, duh, of course you should do this. I am telling you, having something like this fresh with like pepperoni and the fresh mozzarella cheese and the good marinara sauce and the like fresh baguette, it will blow your mind. It really will. It's incredible. It's one of my favorite foods to eat. Oh, and then this is the showstopper. And this is the thing that I make for myself uh, and for people who I love during like difficult times and happy times. And I love to cook vegetables. It's one of my favorite things to cook. And roasted vegetables, I think, are as good as it gets. This is ratatouille with goat cheese. Ratatouille can be kind of a complicated dish. This makes it so, so simple. You thinly slice all of these vegetables. Uh, we're talking about onion and peppers and eggplant and zucchini and squash and potatoes. All of these beautiful, beautiful vegetables. You slice them up really thinly. You layer them on the sheet pan. Like you can either do one row of vegetables and then another row of another kind of vegetables. Or you can like mix it up and do like a zucchini and then a squash and then a potato if you want to get really fancy and crazy with it. And then you bake it on top of tomato puree and it is number one beautiful i don't think there is any dish more gorgeous than this sheet pan ratatouille it is number two delicious you serve this over some pasta with the goat cheese or with some really good bread and um 
I could not eat a whole sheet pan of this at a time because I would explode. But believe me, like as far as my taste buds go, yes, I would. And the thing about it is that it is just, it's like summer on a sheet tray. And that's kind of what I love about cooking is that it can capture, it can capture these combinations of flavors that sort of like become a singular moment. You can taste something and be like, oh, that's autumn. Like those are autumn flavors. And it might be hard to put your finger on exactly what the combination is, but it's there. And and, and especially when you have like a load of yummy vegetables roasted up, it's summer. You know what I mean? And that is a very summery dish. And it will always sort of invoke that season for me. And, and I love it. And it's also something that I make when I feel a need to like be kind to myself. And it's also something that I love to make when I want to, you know, take care of someone who's having a hard time because it is a meal that I feel good about giving to people because it's almost entirely vegetables. I don't feel bad like, oh, like I might, you know, be introducing unhealthy foods to their life. No, I feel like I'm able to give them something that's warm, that's satisfying. And at the same time is like relatively good for them. They're not going to feel like crap after eating it. And I think that that can be really, really important when we're going through challenging times. Um, And wow, there we go. There you have it. In this moment, in these challenging times, Um, you know, it's it's totally and completely understandable and okay if what you're turning to right now is comfort food that's like quick and easy. If what you're making is like full of chocolate or full of butter or, you know, whatever it is that is your comfort food, then that is completely and totally okay and to be expected right now. But also, If you can take a moment here and there to make yourself a sheet pan of roasted vegetables and, you know, make something for yourself that is on the one hand delicious and that is on the other hand fulfilling and sustaining for your body as well as your heart and your soul and your mind, then I don't think that you can do anything better for yourself or others than that right now. So uh, there are lots of desserts in here. There are lots of like amazing, delicious brunch food. Um, And I shan't talk about any more of it. But what I will say is that um, this cookbook comes highly recommended from me. Again, it is called Sheep Pan Suppers. 120 recipes for simple, surprising, hands-off meals straight from the oven. It's not just dinners. It has some breakfasts and some snacks too. Um, So I highly recommend this. If you like to cook, uh, please do yourself a favor. Get it. Really, truly, sincerely. This is one that I could not live without it on my shelf. I mean, I could live, but my life would be really different if I didn't have this particular cookbook on my shelf and also like you know have yourself some good nourishing food sometime this week if you get a chance because uh you know I think that we all have to do what we can you know to sort of nourish ourselves in this moment and the people that we love So, um, I suppose that's what this podcast is about, I guess. I don't know. That's what I'm doing. I'm talking to myself and you're listening. And that makes me feel a little bit less alone in this crazy world. So again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I very sincerely hope that you have enjoyed this fourth episode of Cocktails and Cookbooks with Megan Morgan. Uh, my my cocktail was delicious. I hope that yours was too, whether it be a cocktail or a mocktail or whatever it is that you like to drink. And above all, yeah, be be kind to yourself and be kind to the people around you. 
and uh, remember uh, the remember the things that we share, and remember to take care of your fellow human beings as much as you can. The thing I love about one of the things that I love because there are lots of things. One of the things I love about food is it is something that unites us, and it has power to bring people together. When dinner is served, we hopefully come to the dinner table and we sit around and we talk to each other and um, we spend time with each other. And that is true, I think, across cultures. And I also think that when someone from another culture shares food with us, you know, we experience a part of their life. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope that, uh, if not now in the midst of COVID-19, because I understand why you wouldn't, but I hope that at some point you have a chance to sit down and experience someone else's culture with them through their food Uh do that. And in the meantime, go cook yourself some sheet pan ratatouille. It's worth it. It's wonderful. It's delicious. And um, I, I really, truly think that you will feel better for doing so. And uh, thank you for coming and listening to another episode of Cocktails and Cookbooks with Megan Morgan. Um, I'm sending you love. I'm sending you strength. Uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, I mean, I can't literally do that. But in my mind, I'm hoping that you will have more from having listened to this. Thank you so much. Uh, and I hope that you have a lovely rest of the day slash week slash however long it is until I record another one of these. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>